Um, every week we have the re word read at Christ Central Church in Charlotte. I didn't realize he was going to make y'all stand for that long reading. It was not my fault or my intention. Um, I'm glad to be here. As he said, I'm a native son of Charleston. It is good to be home. When we crossed the Cosgrove Bridge to go to our neighborhood, we just put the windows down, and the boys are like, man, this is so beautiful, smelling the river, the marsh, everything. It's just, whew, it's just good to be home. Um, so before we get started tonight, I want to just go ahead and let you know I am from Charleston, South Carolina. I think I made that very clear. I am from the South. I am a Southerner. And that became clear to, more, clear, more clear to me, clearer to me, rather, um, when I married my wife, who was from St. Louis. <laughs> I am a Southerner. And you'll understand why I'm saying that and giving that disclaimer before we get into the word. Let me go ahead and introduce my wife down here, Kelly um, Brown. And we've been married 20 years come December. And uh, my son, Clark, who is 13 and my son Harrison, who's 15, and my father sitting over there, Alfonso Brown, and he is, just kidding, um, <laughs> 30. Okay, there we go. There, I, I got to get something for that. So as we reflect upon and celebrate today the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, for those who continue to embrace its revolutionary messages of sola scriptura, scripture alone, and sola fide, faith alone, and sola gratia, grace alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. These five solas have not just been about theological distinctions, but about change and movement within the society and history, thus the term Reformation. Well, the Reformation started long before Luther and the 95 Theses. We see a call to Reformation right here in the 10th chapter of Matthew, made almost 2,000 years ago, and continues into, the, into today with Jesus calling people to be a moving part of this gospel based Reformation. To have it happen in you. And then through you right here in what I would describe as the New South in cities like my own dear hometown, Charleston, South Carolina. Calling for what then, back when Jesus gave it to his disciples and what went on during the Protestant Reformation, and now what would cause a revolt, a rebellion, a Uprising, dare I say it, in here in the South, a new civil war. But one that, unlike the first that this country experienced, would not leave in its wake reconstruction, but restoration. Not Jim Crow, but eclectic, diverse community. And not fear and apathy, but progress and redemption. Reformation. The Bible tells us here that Jesus is sending his disciples out for the first time to talk about the kingdom that is coming and with it to heal and teach and show mercy and drive out demons and to, to raise people from the dead, to bring the message and methods of restoration to a people in the Jews that had experience and were living the results of a northern aggression by Rome. 
And before that, other world powers, Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, Greece. These were a people who, having been ransacked by powers around them, having been taken advantage of, called to assimilate and and possibly sell out their faith, these are people who worked hard to stand strong, keeping and protecting and seeking to preserve their sense of heritage holding strong their history and heritage of Father Abraham and the God of the Bible, they sought to endure what would have been their own version of reconstruction by the hands of the Romans and the Greeks, who came in with military might and money and influence and affluence. they, They sought to shape and woo the Jews into better Jews. Right? To to turn these simple southern religious folk into a tax generating, won't and can't raise much of a fuss group of slappy and happy and liar strumming archaic monotheists. And what resulted? Like what we see in our own South was a pride and strength as a people. Carved, though, out of insecurity and fear and defeatism. Out of it, a defensive and legalistic legalistic Judaism rose, but one that was still a little optimistic among many, like some of our bumper stickers that I've seen on the stereotypical pickup trucks in the South that say that we will rise again. That for the Jews, they kind of believed that. That a Messiah would come and liberate them, free them, protect and promote and preserve them against the Romans. And guess what? The Messiah had come in Jesus. But contrary to popular thought, not to rage war against the Gentiles. Not against the culture and religious enemies to their prideful existence, but to ironically through the message of a heart and social transforming gospel, not of cultural righteousness, but broken, repentant righteousness, Jesus was bringing and sending his disciples with a message that would bring civil war to his and their own people. And thus the conflict here. That is, they would bring reformation, much like it did the church in the 16th and 17th centuries. It would turn their own people against them. That the gospel of Jesus would, would and, and it's so revolutionary that, that it would cause Jews to hand over their brothers and sisters to Gentile authorities. That it would cause such a hiccup in the South that it would tear a heritage in half. Turning son against father and daughter against mother. And now that same Jesus with the same message is calling you and me to what I would describe as a new South Reformation. A reformation that will turn our southern towns and cities upside down and even against itself as God seeks to bring restoration and redemption to it through you and me, the church. Here are some words in short phrase that we love and have come to define the South, especially in cities like Charleston. Heritage, history, manners, polite preservation. Don't worry about it. Don't worry your pretty little head or or heart about it. Leave well enough alone. Family, defend, protect, stay home. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. 
Know your place. Home cooking, right? Stand. Settle. Everything's fine. Enjoy. Come on in. A good Christian whoever. Girl, good Christian home, good Christian man. My, mine, our, we. And many of those same words would apply to the call Jesus gives. But with it, Jesus was proposing and calling a reformation marked by the following words and descriptives. Force. Offensive. Surprise visitors, new, change, adoption, find, seek, ask, them, theirs, others, leave, get, sword, not peace, reveal, bring it into the light, do it out loud in the streets and on the rooftops, follow, heal, go. This reformation in the New South, this redemption of the broken in the low country, as with any city or place, begins with three things I want to talk about. It begins when we engage it, embrace it, and liberate it with the gospel. Engage, embrace, and liberate. Look with me at verses 5 through 6. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm sending you to your own people. I'm sending to you where you are from and where you are culturally, right there. And and not just sending you to settle, but I am sending you to start a new discussion, a new dialogue. You will not wait for the Reformation to come to you. Through the gospel, you are bringing it and rallying things up. You're going to start some mess. That's right, starting something in a place that is already very defensive, whose attitudes are defined by keeping the status quo, who fear change might destroy them. You are coming with a gospel message that challenges not their perceived enemies, but them and you about a heritage and history and way of living and thinking that has become a source and sense of security and identity. That the gospel goes right to those things that we are comfortable in as a people. Jesus defines some of what this going looks like. Look at what he says. Verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they're proclaiming it. And so they're going to define what this kingdom of heaven looks like. Not just in word, but in deed. What do they say? What does he say in verse 8? Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. You receive without paying. Give without pay. When Jesus talks about going and bringing healing, and casting out demons, and going to lost sheep. He is saying, go to and put ministry focus on who and what and to those things that have been covered up and forgotten. Go to the disenfranchised and those who lay undealt with. Talk about. And then show that God cares about the forgotten. Highlight those people and the things that say, guess what, y'all? Everything is not okay. That say y'all can't rise again. Because though, yes, you feel like the underdog, you got some serious problems to start talking about and dealing with people and what people don't want to, but need to, that are right there, but folk want to ignore. You see, by going to the folk who were that he's talking about in verse 7, it would say, guess what? Our culture, our society is broken. Verse 8. 
to not stand on the sidelines and settle for what is unsettling to God, but to go to the wounding, wounded places in our south and, and point it out and bring it up. In verse 27, Jesus tells them to say it from the rooftops and reveal what is hidden and covered up and bring it out into the open. That's what the gospel does and what has been said in secret. That, that, that Guess what? We are lost. We are not righteous. Our lives are not ones that we should be comfortable in. Our cities are not places we should be comfortable in. That if you think you're okay culturally or socially or politically or historically or ethnically or whatever defines you, it is not true. Go to the wounded place where the gospel can heal. Jesus is saying, this is how you do it. Do it by riling up the lower classes. See, these folk would represent the lower class. These are the folk who didn't have jobs. They lived in the poorest part of towns. They lived in the slums. Jesus is saying, go to those people. That's where reformation begins. Go to the lower classes and the forgotten classes. And by forgotten, we have a diverse church, diverse economically, diverse uh, ethnically. And so by forgotten, it can also mean those of us who, thought, who are thought of as doing and being okay because we have money or power and position, sometimes they're forgotten too. Go to those places, speak to those people and things that are a result of a history that would thus be deemed not too clean or good. Call out and give voice. About and for those people that aren't smiling and happy and slappy and shouldn't be so happy and slappy in the South or in the society. Jesus saying, do what we're not supposed to do at good Southern family reunions under the oak tree. Start conversations about things that people wax over. The broken things, right? Racism. Sexism. And challenging, personally demeaning conversations in politics. (laughs) Dig up the history of places that people have built fortunes on, right? Uh, We don't have a lot of those in this city. We should engage in discussions of how and why our denomination is so white. (laughs) Talk about. Engage in... And the the fact that that's the case, when we see how far we've got to go to look like revelation, we're crippled. We are the sick he's talking about. Talk about engaging conversations about why there's such disparity in Charleston socially, racially, and economically. Talk about schools. Uh Uh-oh. Talk about gentrification. I grew up here. What has happened to the peninsula? There ain't no black people left on the peninsula. My grandmama lived on Line Street. I think there's a coffee shop in like some kind of she-she donut place now. Talk about how the college and the hipsters and the young families who won't walk in communities are favored in ways that create new ghettos and forgotten places in cities like ours because of their tax-generating make-our-city-look-better idolatry. This ain't our home. We're looking for heaven, right? 
So it's okay to talk about those things. We, 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 we're not trying to depend on wealth and nice-looking homes and communities, right? We don't care about that stuff. We want the gospel, right? If you don't know, find out why so many African-Americans and other people of color and lacking privilege in particular are wounded and disabled by our leadership in this country. I'm not trying to say that, that, that we, we talk bad about the president. That's not what I'm getting at. Why are people so disheartening? Why are people hurt? What is going on? Shouldn't we know? Don't we have the gospel? The police violence stuff that, might not, that, that you might not see and ignore, but are crippling and sickening and demonically evil in some way to whole people groups. Why all of a sudden is evangelical a word in church culture and how our denomination continues to define itself sickening to so many right now? Why? Why do I know among African Americans in evangelical churches like the PCA, why is there a great divorce going on from evangelicalism now described as white evangelicalism? Why is that part of our church sick? Do we care? We bleeding out people of color and women, poor folk. Don't live in the privilege of the we happy, but go to who Jesus says among you, why? The broken, the broken parts of our body need the reformation. More and beyond that, because understand Jesus sending disciples to their homeboys and girls, right? That There is a call to start dialogue about your own family brokenness and secrets and fake religiosity, right? Go to the broken places and issues that need healing and deliverance and offer and work for it. Jesus says that the gospel brings out what needs to be revealed. So sometimes be on the offensive about it. Like in in my southern family, my dad is so good at doing family history. Ask what really happened. You got to throw the word really in there. Who's really related? Like what's really going on here? Why my hair so curly? Found out. We got French Huguenots in the family. How they get in the family? We got a whole white side. How that happen? Why Uncle so-and-so? Not mine, y'all's. Won't come to family events. Come on, Southern families. Ask about why Daddy drinks so much. Ask. Why women had to be steel magnolias? And why women go around talking about how the men in the family ain't worth much? Or why there are a bunch of children for some of us and no fathers around? Ask where are our men? Ask about how wealth and privilege came and was kept in our family. And in some cases, talk about how God had to be faithful and good because no one and nothing else was. Open dialogues about how abuses were covered up like they often are in the South. Family-wise, culturally, as a city and churches, go there. The gospel's made for it. <laughs> the Reformation, 500 years ago, was built for what we're dealing, now, dealing with now. Not because you want to be a rebel rouser. Sometimes I just like to be a rebel rouser. But because your Lord has sent you to the graveyards and plantations and everywhere in between to engage, to begin dialogue, to go where and talk about it. You know what? I mean, my dad's here, but I got to say, go on Gullah Tours of Charleston. He owns Gullah Tours of Charleston. 
get on that tour, right? Drive by a parking lot that was once paved over to make Bishop England High School that used to be down off of Calhoun Street, how that was paved over to create a parking lot, but they didn't bother to move the black bodies that were in that ground. Yeah, and then the tombstones they took up, yeah, some of these nice homes downtown, you want to know what the stepping stones are to the back house? Yeah. Tombstones. We should be able to weep about where we live. Yeah, like I said, beyond the donut places and she-she eateries and bike riding and stroller pushing and jogging communities. You know what you're jogging on top of? And talk about engaged, dare I say it, with a gospel-based confidence that all that is broken and brought out will be fixed and rectified and can be lived through and survived by the grace that Jesus, not our oral righteousness and smart mouth and arrogance, but that he alone brings by the power of the gospel. Because engagement here also includes embracing and being embraced where you go. Now let's look at verse 9. We're gonna, it's going to get a little easier here. <laughs> Jesus talks about not taking a bunch of stuff. And yes, let me tell you, when I read this, there's a lot of stuff here. I'm not going to exegete all of it, but enough. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy... Let your peace come upon it, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. When you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than, that, than for that town. Sorry about that. Jesus saying to his disciples, don't take a bunch of stuff with you as you go, right? Now he switches it up later. <laughs> for other reasons. And then he says, bring peace to places and people that welcome you in, right? And it says that he's serving a prophet is worth his reward or service in a later verse. Here's what he's teaching. That yes, we are called to go out and bring out and make alarm about the sordid and forgotten and broken in this place and among our people because we're bringing the gospel to places God has called us to bring it to address the fact that we are sinners and we're broken and it comes out in our world. But he's saying this. And it's so difficult. He is saying, yes, go and do this, but not from a position of power or self-righteousness. You are not going as those who have it all together, who have money in their pockets, right? And and literally and... philosophically, right? Or spiritually, you, you are not going because you are bringing a personal sense of retribution. Thus, he's saying, you speak for me. This is not about crushing people or getting vindication for yourself or just getting what you can out of it. In fact, he says this in verse 8, right? He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Then it says here, you receive without paying, give without pay. In other words, don't go engage the world like the world owes you something. 
or that you have it all together, or that you are the moral gentry or something, right? Because now you are woke and see for the first time all the different lives that matter, and now you want to metaphorically and philosophically bust some heads out of your wokeness. But here is the point. Engage so that the people in places that you engage with will perceive as much as possible you and accept you as someone, though coming with pretty revolutionary and upraising gospel thoughts, as someone who is seeking to serve and love them and sent as a servant, not a salesperson seeking to sell or gain something, but give the gospel freely without strings attached. Jesus says, don't bring a bag for your journey in verse 10, right? What's the bag for? To collect a bunch of money or bring a bunch of money. Let me put in old school Southern vernacular. He is saying that our call to engage our world does not allow for carpet bagging. Yeah. That we are not called in our reformational revolting ways to exploit, to take and uproot for ourselves from a position of moral superiority like we are reformed and informed and just better. Man, we can be mean. Or make ourselves feel better about ourselves. To maybe prove to ourselves that we are better than our parents or those folk who put this country together and put this city together. You know, to maybe prove to ourselves, you know, that that we've arrived. And all of these low country, uh, old south, old school pastors and churches, these black or white bunch of country bumpkin Colonel Sanders Porch dwelling, singing and swinging, ignorant, you know what's need to get it straight because now we smart, right? Because it's so easy to engage with wrong anger or fear or self-righteousness. I'm going to put myself out there. I sin in this a lot. I get self-righteous. You know that because I'm human. I get angry about how my people or my family is, and I take my anger and lash out against and in my southern hatred. I do. I've done it, especially with my white brothers and sisters. I just want to make you mad and uncomfortable. I do. Because sometimes folk feel guilty, and I just use that guilt, and I just wail on folk. You know why? Because I am mad. I'm mad. And I'm sad. As a black man raised in the South, seeing the socioeconomic disparities, and I'm disappointed that, you know, just, when was it, yesterday, Clark? I'm driving, I was speeding, trying to get the youth group. Cop stops me. Gave me a warning. Went away. And my son says to me, Dad, just want you to know, I had the video camera rolling on my phone. It's not funny. I got to live like that? So sometimes I take it out on folk. Sometimes I hate. I hate much of what some of y'all appear to be and represent. I just want to tear someone something in this place, a new one, right? Right? We all want some kind of personal retribution. You want to knock something over, right? I want to make you feel guilty and laugh about it. I want to dump on rich churches. I want to be better than the other black folk that seem to not be progressing in my mind. I want to dog them all. 
We didn't read this first scripture of this chapter, but it says Jesus gave them, he gave them his power to go and be reformational. It is out of his power and his righteousness and not ours. His his righteous purposes and not ours. And it makes sense why he says, do not be anxious in what you're to speak in verses 19 to 20. And that the words will be given to you because he's saying, let my words and my gospel be the reason and not your insecurity driven anger or vitriol, right? Jesus says, for more than one reason in verse 16, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But he is saying this. Find a place and a way to be influential and reformational, but don't hurt. Don't condemn. Don't harm, but heal. Face it, Jesus saying engaging is not using your newfound commission and freedom in Jesus and being sometimes, as you think, a born-again evangelical who knows it all, to get revenge or deal with hidden demons. In fact, he says this in verse 14 as we look. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And it applies in a number of ways. But it means this too. That what you have suffered and will suffer is not for you to fix or get reparation for yourself. But for me, the Lord of the revolution and reformation to provide justice and righteousness for myself through the right engagement and bringing of the gospel. This reformation continues from 500 years ago to be a suffering thing. Because you will not and should not get retribution by your own hands, but you will just suffer doing it, right? Which makes it double hard not to get mean and angry and defensive. That is this new civil war in which Jesus calls us people on a gospel offensive. That you will put yourself in harm's way and then not be able to get retribution for what you feel. It is what persecution is. Because truth be told, if you bring up family secrets, if you dig it up, if you, as Jesus says here, go to the rooftops and as the gospel says, as the gospel does its work, if you're responsible for bringing the stuff that reveals the messed up heart and issues of the culture, you will be rejected. Look at what he says here in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. Jesus is saying, when you seek to engage the world with the good news, regardless of how loving and embracing you are, your own people and your own kind of people can turn against you. You start talking about all the stuff we just were talking about, the people, you might get kicked out the country club. Not literally. But people might stop talking to you a little bit. Or the good southern woman club. Or for some of us, the hipster club. (laughs) What a trusted brother, sister club. You will be sold out like a sellout to all that is good and southern and right and pure. Why are you bringing that up? It doesn't matter. People need to learn to work harder. That's their problem. They just need to get it together. I worked hard. My family worked hard for what we have. 
when you say this is by grace, it's not about works or righteousness, you will get rejected. Understand what Jesus is saying when he says that they will give you over to the Gentiles. Your own people may no longer embrace you. You will be a danger to the society you live in, right? Your message will come off as not only strange but wrong and offensive. Welcome to the Reformation. But there is no gospel. But if there is no gospel belief in it, regardless of your intentions are pure, are pure, innocent, or harmless, you will become a sheep among wolves, Jesus said. And nothing would have angered the Jews back then than to call them wolves. Jesus to imply that the people of God are wolves, but it will happen. For those of you who've already kind of engaged in these discussions... Y'all have stories upon stories of right and good confrontations or for you pastor sermons just going wrong and rejecting and, and being rejected. Some have brought people and, and, and some have been told you're too conservative or too liberal in gospel, in gospel ways around your new church and, and, and now this new South Reformation that, that you are not comfortable or good to be around anymore. And it makes sense here as Jesus explains this in verse 24 and 25. If I can read, okay, should have brought my glasses up here. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? It was a goal of the student to pick up and take over the place and level of the teacher someday shows progress. So Jesus saying this to them and to us, if they call me your teacher, devil, bad for society, a bringing up of what is bad and dangerous, you have the privilege of being like me. They will call you the same because you have followed and answered the call to the reformation and revolution of the gospel. And with it, like me, for the sake of what is good news for all involved, you will die and get beat down and be falsely accused. But here is the end goal, to liberate with the gospel, right? To bring freedom. Look again at the beginning. He says, I am sending you to heal and cast out demons and go to the lost sheep. Understand at this point in Israel history, hope has been lost. Cover up in heritage. Defensiveness and self-righteousness. Hiding and protecting. Hiding and being strong politically where you stand. And avoiding was the only way to actually stay alive. It was the only way, hear me, to, to secure dignity and hope and peace for themselves. To hate and fear and run and ignore and celebrate with kind of eyes squinted and good southern style. To continue to forge ahead and talk about the good old days among and on top of graveyards of sin and struggle and abuse and marginalized. The South, as with any place that stands defensive, is sad. Understand, it is hurt. Charleston and any New South City, especially with its history and new history of hatred and injustice and gentrification and, and new wealth and esteem, is guess what? It is seeking to cover its brokenness and its pain and the degrees of that pain. The cover-up. Defensiveness. points to a people who in large part are hopeless. 
Do you know that's what creates a place like we live in? Hopeless for healing and forgiveness and dealing with the deep and thick and heavy history of mistakes. And so that's why people don't want you to bring it up. They're thinking, if you make me guilty, what am I going to do with all this guilt? I stand hopeless in the impossibility of fixing what, fixing what I have broken or how we've been hurt and abused. And in that hopelessness, guess what happens? Abuses go on and no one talks about it. People have to stay in their closets and we smile and fake and pretend because we don't know whether we can accept or handle what we might actually learn. And people living They live believing and afraid that there are no words and no message and no Messiah and no real Southern comfort outside of what we can find in a bottle. Just mess that we have to make right ourselves and can't. But you know better, don't you? Those of you who are believers are the living and talking and breathing spoils of God's grace. Look at verse 8 as I close here. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. And hear what he says here. You receive without paying. Give without pay. Who is he talking about when he says you've received freely? Now, I don't have any biblical evidence, and I'm not sure that the disciples were crippled and dead, and literally. But do you understand what Christ is saying? He came to you. You were sick, dead in your sins, a leper without hope. pawn of the devil and he freely saved you the south the new south is dying and crying for liberation that it can't bring itself for a powerful message that it can't generate itself for a people that can't be all for themselves and a savior that it can't find by itself and Jesus saying you are those who've received the power of the gospel You were the broken ones. You are were the forgotten ones. And I remembered, I came, I freely justified you by faith. I did it. And if I did that for you, there's a reformation in your heart. Then there's hope for the South, for a new South reformation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. That there's hope. Because of the gospel that's gone to work in our hearts. We could have been easily forgotten. (laughs) Seen as hopeless and too hard and too defensive and too mean. Our histories could have been seen as too sordid. And yes, Lord, it was impossible for us to save ourselves. But we thank you that you came south from heaven. (laughs) And you redeemed us. 
You reformed us. Now, Lord, out of that gratitude, out of being revealed, the gospel revealed to us, let us go to our world with a New South Reformation. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.